This is weird. Welcome, everyone. I'm standing up. I don't know what to do with my hands. I haven't preached standing up for a while. We're making progress, though. I, uh, I'm inside of the church, um, and, and I know that many of you have never been inside the building at Orland Park, which is still just remarkable to me. This is our lovely chapel. You can get married or buried here. Hopefully, uh, throughout the quarantine, you still know the difference between those two things. Most of you probably know that the governing authorities around us aren't even in agreement as to when we will be back or how it's all going to look. And um, I did a little Zoom call to address the subject. If you'd like to see it, we'll put a link in here and, and let you see where we're at. Let, let, let's just call it what it is, okay? It's all bonkers. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows what's going to happen yet. It's all bonkers. You can use whatever word you want to, depending on whether your kids are within earshot or not. This whole thing is just goofy bonkers. But if we're going to come out on the other side well, which we know we are, and if we're going to come out on the other side stronger, we, we need to be preparing for it and not just sitting around griping, okay? So we've been doing uh, Life on Missions, a book I wrote. We've been doing this whole thing where we're getting ready for Pentecost, okay? The time between Easter and Pentecost was the time when God was preparing the church to launch. And when it did, it changed the world completely, and it's going to happen again. And we're going to launch back out to where we're all a part of each other's lives like we were. And we want to be ready. So we're going to be on mission. Actually, I mean, we already are on mission in a brand new way that I never could have imagined would have happened because of the reach that we have, which is absolutely amazing. Okay, but but how do we do it? All right. Um, we've been talking through life on mission and it goes like this. We connect, we serve, we share, we grow, we pray. This is life on mission. And there's a quote that I've used many times, uh, which is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, one of the great leaders in church history for who the Pope took his name. And it, it went like this. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words, right? The concept is uh, really true in many ways. What it means is that people should not need for us to tell them that we're a Christ follower. And the reason that's been quoted so much is because most church folks don't like to talk to strangers about Jesus. It was the old idea of going witnessing. Raise your hand in your house if that phrase going witnessing scares you a little bit. Hopefully you don't have that frame of reference, but if you do, talk with your family about it later. Going witnessing literally meant you were going to go do door-to-door evangelism, which was kind of like trick-or-treating, except instead of getting candy, you gave candy, which is really creepy anyway, and the candy tasted awful. I mean, it was like black licorice. There are a few people in the world, like my dad, who actually like black licorice, but the rest of us think it tastes like used motor oil. Can I get a dilly-dilly, right? And I'm not saying that, that, that the gospel tastes like bad candy. It was the approach. It was that no one wants a stranger to show up unannounced to help them get saved. So witnessing didn't really usually work very well. That's because it's not the right idea. The word witness in scriptures is almost always a noun, not a verb. A witness is who you are, 
not something that you do. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, not you will do witnessing, okay? So example, Mark 5, Jesus, one of my favorite stories, Jesus heals a demon-possessed guy, okay? And as Jesus is getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. I mean, you, you can imagine, right? I'm not sure what the disciples are thinking. Like, Jesus, I'm not sure I'm comfortable sleeping with Damien here with us. But Jesus didn't let him anyway. It didn't matter. And he said, go home to your own people, Damien, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell all the people in Decapolis how Jesus had what Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed that's where it will be effective go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you that's the be okay not the do you see what I'm saying people already knew this guy they're like hey isn't that the demon possessed dude that we used to keep chained up in the cemetery true story it seems like something's different about him. Well, yeah, I mean, now his head doesn't spin all the way around. So, yeah, I'd like to hear his story, right? Everyone wants to hear his story. Are you kidding me? But only if they knew him. Usually, the gospel becomes good candy because of relationships. So the St. Francis quote is half right. Preach the gospel with your life. Yes, but the quote also has some problems. Number one, I found out, he never said it. <laughs> and number two, it's really dumb because at some point it's always going to be necessary to use words. Nobody ever guessed their way to the gospel, to the good news. So when they ask Damien why his head didn't spin all the way around anymore, he's got to tell them about Jesus. And you know, he did. My friend Ed Stetzer said it this way, saying preach the gospel and when necessary use words is a lot like saying feed the hungry and when necessary use food. Okay, When people see your life, they will at some point need to know why your life is working out. I mean, not perfectly, but better than theirs, maybe. Like, let's just say you have peace in your life through COVID-19 and everybody's going crazy around you and they see that. They need to know if it came from a supernatural source or you've been smoking Maui Wowie. That's what they want to know, okay? So being a witness is not about yapping about Jesus to everyone you meet and being really weird, but it's also definitely more than putting a fish on your car and driving around thinking everybody knows that you love Jesus because I've seen you drive and that's a terrible witness. Okay, Romans 10. Paul said, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them. You see that? Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Okay, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. What does that mean? Well, Jerusalem are the people who are near you and like you. Okay, Judea are the people who are not near you, but still like you. Samaria are the people who are near you, but not like you. And the ends of the earth are the people who are not near me and not like me. You see how that goes? That, that's everybody. That's how the whole thing works. The Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, the most important thing that I do, that I complete in my mission, is my mission and the work the Lord Jesus gave me. 
And let's read the rest of it together. Read this out loud. To tell the people the good news about God's grace. Let me transport you a few months after the new church when it got started, after Pentecost, in Acts chapter 8, okay? There's a guy who gets it, and his name is Philip. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Notice, when Philip went to Samaria, they noticed two things. What he said and what he did. They heard his words and they saw his signs. His mouth and his hands were congruent. You see what I'm saying? And that assisted them in wanting to hear more. That's why relationship is always so much more important. Your neighbors know you, okay? The people at work, they know you. Your family knows you. What those people saw was something that was real and genuine in Philip, so they wanted to hear him. The key to being a witness for Jesus is living a life that people want to know more about. That's the right part of the St. Francis quote, okay? So let me give you three things as we get ready and as we go to be on mission that are really important. Number one, a good witness has good hands, all right? Let's go on because in a way this may seem like Philip is peddling licorice because he's talking to somebody he doesn't know. But I want you to see this. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Okay. Ethiopian is black. He is wealthy. He is a non-Christian. He is the exact opposite of Philip. And again, Philip recognized that to reach people with the love of Jesus, he had to connect with them. That was week one. So he did. But watch his approach. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Okay. This demonstrates the second key quality of a witness. A good witness has good hands and he has good eyes. He's looking for the right opportunity. You can't look for opportunities by knocking on somebody's door and asking them about heaven on Saturday morning. I'm not against that approach. Some people find Jesus that way. But, but I, I'm just going to be honest. I don't want to talk about heaven on Saturday morning. Do you? And I'm a professional Christian for crying out loud. I have never once in my life been sitting at home thinking, boy, I sure wish someone with a differing religious viewpoint would stop by so I could kill a few hours. I know, nobody does, right? So what does he do? He has good hands, he has good eyes. And, 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 and what does Jesus say for us? He says, I will make you fishers of men, okay? The, grab a hold of that concept. If you want, I don't know if you're a fisherman or not, but if you want to catch fish, you have to go to the right time and the right place and the right season, okay? And usually it's early in the morning, which is why I am not a fisherman. 
Timing is important, and you have to have the right bait. And if you want to fish for people, you have to develop a sense of timing with your eyes. Now, Philip had a tremendous advantage when it came to timing because the Bible says that, you know, God told Philip that the time was right to go speak to that man. Well, hang on. Does he do that today? Yeah, he does. I mean, you think his phone is broken? Do you think he upgraded the new iOS and it's not working for him? I mean, just pay attention. This coronavirus, you guys, is a huge time for people who need some hope. And they may well be sitting around wishing someone would bring them some hope. And I just got to stop right there and say, hey, you know what? Maybe just sharing this link. Just sharing some links to the, to the sermons and the stuff that's going on, to the morning devotions and whatever would be a great idea. That's a great way to share. Philip showed respect. He didn't offend the guy or his religious beliefs. He didn't debate with him on, you know, on Facebook. He just took the Bible and showed the guy Jesus. Whatever a person is like, Paul said, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. Good hands, we serve. Good eyes, we look. And good ears. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Oh, that's fantastic. Do you understand what you're reading? Jesus did this all the time. What does this guy do? What does Philip do? He asked a question. And this is a very simple concept, okay? I talked in Life on Mission book about the guy I met at the health club and, and we started a relationship and helped him in his relationship with Jesus. And it all started with a very simple question. And, and I know you're always looking for help, so I'm going to put it on the screen so that you can write it down. It's really profound. I said, hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> that was it. He said, not so good, and that started the whole thing. But it started with the question. Most people come to the Lord because of a friend. So are you going to be a friend or not? I once heard someone describe it this way. The best tools you have are stuck to the side of your head. They're your ears. Philip ran alongside and asked the man, do you understand what you're reading? And he figured out how to turn the conversation into something spiritual. And here's the rub. I think the temptation for us is to never bring up the subject of God. It's easy to talk about the virus or the bears and if they're ever going to play again. And at some point, they need to know about Jesus. Okay, They need to have the food. Why is that so hard? Well, I think the reason that most people don't like to, to use words, to use that Francis supposed quote, it, 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 when, they, when they talk to somebody is because they're afraid of not having the right answers. Wouldn't you agree with me? And that's why I love the story of the blind man that Jesus healed in the Bible. Okay, just listen to this for a second. So the man went and washed and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, notice relationship, asked, isn't this the same man who used to beg? And he could have just let it go, right? He could have said, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to bring up Jesus. But he just couldn't do it because his life had been changed. And he himself insisted, no, it's me. I'm a blind guy. Well, then how were your eyes open, they demanded. And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I did, and I can see. 
Notice something very important here. He doesn't try to be a theologian. Well, the incarnate son of Jehovah came to earth and he has all power from on high because although he is fully man, he is fully God and he has graciously healed my infirmities. No, he doesn't do that. And nobody wants to hear that. He doesn't try to explain it, how it all happened. Just sticks to the facts. Just the facts. They said, well, where is this man? They asked him. And he said, this is really important, I don't know. Once again, I'm going to keep coming back to this. He did not try to answer questions he didn't have answers to. Many people don't want to share their story because they are afraid of the hard questions. Well, what about suffering? Well, what about the Old Testament? Well, what happened to the dinosaurs? Well, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, did Joe Exotic really pay somebody to commit murder? You don't have to know those answers, okay? Practice this with me. I don't know. Say it out loud. I don't know. See how easy that is? Don't not share Jesus with people because you're afraid of the questions. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. This is one of my favorite verses. He said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Underline that. I don't know. I don't know about all your stuff. I don't know about theology. I don't know about all the answers to your questions. But here's what I do know. Not working working. Are you with me? Just ask them questions and answer the questions the best you can with what you already do know. Share is supposed to be easy. I love the story of the kid who was telling another kid about Jesus in heaven, and this other kid had never heard it before, and he was like, are you saying all I have to do is follow Jesus and I can go to heaven? And if my mom wants to go, all she has to do is follow Jesus. And the other kid said, yeah. And if you don't want her there, just don't tell her. Wait. There you go. It's right here. What is a witness? A witness is somebody who just tells what they've seen. Right? Think about it from a court standpoint. I saw this, and then I saw this, and this is what happened. A witness tells what happened to them. You see, you are an expert at one thing, and it is you, your life. Nobody can be a better witness on your life than you. I'm sorry I don't know all the answers to your questions, but I do know that I used to be blind, and now I can see. Nobody is a better witness of your life than you because you are the authority. I can't argue with that. To do what the Bible talks about and First Peter, where Peter says, you are God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him and tell others of the difference he has made for you. You just tell your story. That's it. In fact, the most effective way to let other people know about God, about the great things that God can do in their lives, in your life, is to tell the story of what God has done in your life. That's what makes a difference. And if God hasn't done anything great in your life yet, man, we want to help you on your relationship. I want to help you. 
Donald Miller in his book, Blue Like Jazz, tells about his friend Penny, who became a Christian mostly because of a relationship with another friend named Nadine. Penny said, the thing I loved about Nadine was that I never felt like she was selling anything. She would talk about God as if she knew him, as if she had talked to him on the phone that day. She said, some Christians I had encountered felt like they had to sell God, as if he were soap or a vacuum cleaner. And it's like they weren't really listening to me. They just didn't care. They just wanted me to buy their product. But Nadine made me feel like if I met Jesus, he would really like me. I can't explain how freeing that was to realize that if I met Jesus, he would like me. Sure, there were people he loved and people he got mad at. I wrote a book about that. But I kept identifying with the people he loved because they were all the broken people, the kind of people who were tired of life and wanted to be done with it, the desperate people who are outcasts or pagans. Those are the ones that he loved. Nadine made me feel like Jesus would like me. How hard is that? God, be with us. <clears throat> be with the, all of us who have Jesus, who are listening right now. And it may feel a little bit awkward to share sometimes. And it may be awkward. Don't let us do it when it's awkward. But Lord, we need to give a reason for the hope that's within us. We, we need to be able to tell people about why our life is different. I pray that you'll give us the courage, send your spirit to show us when and where to use words because it is necessary. And in the meantime, help our lives be a great example. Our hands, our eyes, our ears. Those are the important parts. And Lord, for those people who are listening who maybe they're like Penny and they're like, I, I, I don't know if Jesus could like me. Please let them know. <laughs> that he died for them, that he loves them, no matter who they are, how good they are, that all they need to do is open up their heart and allow you in. All they need to do is say, Jesus, I'm, I'm not seeing so well. Could you make me see? Be with us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.